Hello everybody, I'm John Atack to this day and this is Douglas Brooks. Uh, shall I call you Doug? Or Doug? Doug is good, yep. Doug is good. And, and we're here today to talk about, you've launched a, a website about multi-level level marketing, MLMs, and um, which we both agree share all sorts of um, characteristics with other types of authoritarian cult. Um, and so we're here to open that subject out a little bit. Where would you like to begin? Um, well, uh, like as I was saying to you before we started, I, I'm I'm happy to be guided by by where your interests lie and where your 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 audience's interests lie. Um, I I do want to say that one of the one of the reasons I I started this site uh, is to um, uh, uh, provide information for pe people who are. Uh, uh, either they're they're looking into MLM or they're in an MLM and they're trying to figure out what happened to them, or they've got a friend or 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 a relative who's involved with it and they're concerned about these people. Hmm. Uh, so my uh, one of my objectives is certainly is to provide information for people who are uh, uh, looking into the topic. Hmm. Um, I I don't pretend to be. Um, unbiased I, I am definitely a critic of the of, of the industry uh but the the information that I provide is 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 uh, is, is totally uh, factual it's it's um uh and uh you know as as objective as, as possible um an, another reason for 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 doing it now is there are a number of 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 uh, developments that are ongoing that are going to affect uh, this industry. The, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, which has uh, avoided uh, regulating uh, the industry uh, uh, to date, uh, uh, now in, in the past, over the past year, has uh, issued two um, notices uh, and without getting into the technicality of it, uh, they are signaling to the industry that they they are uh, looking into uh, uh, various types of regulation, mm -hmm. and I and a number of of, of folks that are uh, uh, sort of share my views of the industry are uh, doing what we can to encourage the FTC to step in here because it is it is a systemic problem. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, unlike uh, with other industries where you can say there there's a bad apple, but it's a basically legitimate industry, uh, you look at MLM and it certainly, and I've looked at hundreds of companies and I've spoken with hundreds of distributors over the years, and, and the, the problems surface in 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 every MLM that you look at. Uh, there are uh, vast disparities between the uh, incomes earned by the a tiny group of people at the top of the chain and the vast majority who make very little and drop out. And then there's the middle people who are in it for longer. And that just means they lose more money. The longer you're in, the more you lose. Um, uh, and combined with, with the sort of the dismal success rates, we have uh, outrageous earnings claims. Um, mm constantly uh mlm promoters are saying you know you can make 
you know, thousands of dollars a month, 10,000, 20,000 a month. Uh, I became a millionaire uh, and, you know, you will, you know, you can drive a Rolls Royce, you can buy a vacation home, you can send your kids to college, you know, all, all these types of representations, which when, if you, if you ultimately get the numbers, you find that there, there's just a tiny group, less than 1% that are actually making uh, uh, the kind of money that would support that, those lifestyle claims. Mm. Um, so that, so there's, there's ferment in, 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 in the area. Um, I, I don't know where it's going. I've been following this industry for, for decades. Um, uh, and the industry, the MLM industry is politically very powerful. Uh, they have avoided regulation to date. Um, and just to take an example, the few years, few decades ago, actually, the, the FTC developed a rule called the business opportunity rule, which requires sellers of business opportunities to provide some types of disclosures for people before they pay any money or before they, they sign anything. Yeah. Uh, so they have a, a basically a week waiting period, uh, and then and they, they, they get this information and they can look into it. Uh, the multi-level marketing industry lobbied very hard, very, very potently, and they got themselves exempted from this rule. So MLM is the only type, and this is in the U.S., of course, mm. MLM is the only type of business opportunity in the U.S. that is not subject to some type of, of uh, pre-sale disclosure rule in, in, in this country. Yeah, I mean, we have a, a, a cooling off period here for, for contracts that you can withdraw from a contract you signed, um, I think, for within seven days of signing it. Yeah. I, and I mean, this has been with us for a long time. We've had Ponzi schemes going back into the 18th century. Um, yeah. You know, the South Sea bubble is, is one of the famous ones. Yeah. The Panama Canal scheme in the 19th century before they actually built the Panama Canal. Um, and then this leads into these pyramid schemes, which technically in this country are illegal, but practically MLMs like Amway, uh, Herbalife, groups like this have managed to get around this and still, I mean, I, I had a very brief encounter, I was about 17, so this 50 years ago, and I, I for about a week, I knocked on doors selling golden chemical products. Um, the golden chemical was actually um, coconut oil, um, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing, but it, I, I wasn't very good at it. And, and so after a few days, I stopped, but I didn't have to buy, you know, a garage full of stuff before I yeah. got going. And later on, when I was involved in Scientology, an incredibly intelligent friend of mine, really one of the smartest people I've ever met, tried to to get me into Amway and showed me the plan, as they say. <laughs> and the, the strange thing is that being you know, deeply engrossed with Scientology, I nonetheless recognized that there was something very off about, about the way this was being done and about the training that people were being given, which is very much you know the re recruitment training that, that when I've looked at recruitment, if you look at Al-Qaeda and the way they recruit, or you look at the Moonies and the way they recruit, or you then look to a multi-level multi marketing scheme, 
the same things will work on people and so they do the same things they they want to create a fervent response they want you to feel that a fantastic transformation is going to occur in your life and it's rather like being at a revival meeting sometimes yeah. you know the, the same fervor that's being aroused well it's there's so much that that you said is, is fascinating to me to to because I, I'll, I'll maybe i'll ask you the question because a lot of times the the mlm folks they use what they call the curiosity approach mm -hmm. they invite you to a meeting but they don't tell you really what it's about they don't tell you the name of the company uh amway people for 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 decades have been trained don't mention amway don't mention multi-level marketing don't even mention selling um you know do anything but but you know don't don't tell people just get them to the meeting mm -hmm. uh then you come to the meeting and there's there's a, just a bunch of people there that are just wonderful people they they mm -hmm. they come up they're very friendly they they tell you how glad they are that you're there and how lucky you are to be there and and they just seem like a really nice group of people and so you know you're you're you know you know you're you're uh, you know, you're, of course, your guard is down, mm -hmm. and then the the presentation starts, and each person that gets up on the stage talks about, you know, the, you know, they have their rags to riches story, but then they also talk about how the, the next person up is going to be even more amazing, and they and they build and build and build to th this excitement. So that by the time the the the, uh, the the main speaker arrives, you know people are clapping and shouting and 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 standing on their chairs and they're just so happy and you you get sort of swept up in, in this, uh, this excitement. Um, I, I and I I think I, I there are certainly some parallels there to the the, the cultic. Uh, uh, recruitment that um, you, you can speak to much more uh, 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 fully than, than than I can. But uh, it, you know, does does any of that ring uh, familiar to you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing is that, that that you're not being told the truth. You're not being told why you're there. So they'll tell you it's an opportunity or something like that. That and the thing is to give you. A little bit of a mystery so so that that you'll be you know it'll be more alluring and then when you get there as you say there are these exuberant people who are you know have put on their game face to make you uh believe that they've achieved all of these wonderful things which, which again is it's like a revival meeting it it's like a, a mooney recruiting then you'll have the love bombing you'll have the the flattery the insincere praise where and you're you know i can remember when i arrived at scientology and i was 19 i was in a fairly distressed state because my girlfriend had abandoned me and um i didn't like that and there were these lovely people you know that they really were they absolutely believed in what they were saying and i'm sure until you get to pretty much the top level in mlms people really you know, some people, some few people, that one percent, did get lucky, and they they will broadcast that sense that that will make you want to climb on board, join the bandwagon. Um, 
I mean, uh, Robert Cialdini calls it quite simply the principle of liking that 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 we we feel accepted by a group of people. We feel that something could happen. There's also that sense that you know, for all of us, like getting rich quick, there there is in fact no such thing as a free lunch, and yeah. of course in Scientology, there's no such thing as a free personality test either. Um, that's information they're gathering on you and that they they could use if they wish to and in this this way you're being offered something for nothing and that's always going to be wrong it's how i mean i'm a big fan of david mauer's work um on confidence tricksters which led to the movie the sting it comes out of a book he wrote many years ago and seeing the way that and he was a linguist he was somebody who was interested in in you know the terms like cackle bladder you know a little chicken's bladder full of blood so you can pretend you've been shot and through getting to know these people through the language he they liked him and and they started telling him things they were doing and when asked what is the the basis of of a con the, the answer is greed if you really think you're going to get something for nothing or or for very little then either you know, you got lucky in your Mark Zuckerberg, or in the other 999,000 cases, you're being conned, you're being brought into something. Yeah. And and the, the parallels are so, so interesting. I mean, so often, the founders of, of cult groups have been con men, financial con men, uh, Joseph Smith with the Mormons, he'd already been prosecuted successfully for fraud, Ron Hubbard, he was prosecuted for check fraud in San Luis Obispo two years before he began Dianetics and Scientology. And of course, you mentioned before we came on camera, Keith Ranieri, who ran, uh, was it Consumer Byline, was it? Consumer, and he was actually, he was in Amway earlier on, and then he, he set up his own MLM called Consumer Byline. Uh, and uh, it was a, a cleverly designed uh, pyramid scheme. Um, and you were saying that, that that you had quite a lot to to do with that as a lawyer, trying to help people who'd, who'd been caught up in consumer byline. Yeah, I did. I filed a a class action uh, against the company. Um, uh, we 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 drafted a complaint that was very uh, detailed and explained how the um, how how the con worked. Uh, and uh, uh, about a year after we filed the suit, the uh, New York Attorney General um, filed a claim, and they, they they sent me a nice letter saying, you know, we you know we appreciate the the, the complaint that you filed and how you you analyzed the the company, um, mm. but which was uh, uh, you know a nice adopt of the cap, but. Um, uh, they had the power, being uh, the regulators, to actually shut the company down. I mean, mm. for us, we filed the case, and immediately, Consumer Byline defended. Based, they said they have an arbitration clause. You know, people sign these contracts; they have no idea what they're signing. And Consumer Byline is maybe maybe one of one of the earliest MLMs to have an arbitration clause. Mm. Uh, and in the U.S., there's a law that that. Uh, federal law that that favors the the uh, enforcement of arbitration clauses. Mm. So uh, the 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 judge we had, I mean, we argued 
you know, don't enforce this arbitration clause because this is a contract to participate in a pyramid scheme yeah. and pyramid schemes are illegal. They, they violate public policy. Mm -hmm. And the judge agreed with us. And he, uh, so he refused, he, he, he denied their motion, but they took an appeal because again, because of the way the federal law is written, they, they were able to take it, take an appeal and basically stop the litigation from proceeding. And that's the state, that's, that's the status we were in when the New York AG came in and, and shut down the company. Mm. And this is, this is a, this is a consumer byline, I think, Two or three hundred thousand people were involved in it. Most of them lost everything, um, uh, and very little was was uh, recovered. Uh, to you know, the, I think that there was not even enough to pay any restitution to to people. I mean, the money the money was gone, um, and that's what happens a lot of times with these uh, with these MLM companies uh, uh, when the regulators finally move. Uh, it's usually too late, uh, and they can only recover a fraction of what uh, what people have lost. Uh, but at any rate, uh, uh, the 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 New York AG got an order against Keith Raniere, uh preventing him from being involved in the MLM industry anymore. Uh, and then he resurfaced, as as we all know, a few years later with this executive success program that that in, it ultimately became uh, Nexium. Mm. Uh, and um, as I was telling you before we got on, I, I again got involved in litigation with Ranieri when, when Nexium sued uh, Rick Ross and several uh, doctors who had written articles about Nexium. Uh, I agreed to represent them pro bono uh, in, in litigation in that in, in New York that went on for uh, uh, at least uh, twelve years or so, uh, but uh, uh, I, I during the course of those cases, I, I I became quite very familiar with the way Ranieri operates, and and uh, there there certainly he, he used the skills that he developed with Consumer Byline to to. Uh, uh, help him build the uh, the Nexium uh, mm. uh, program. Yeah, and, and of course we we have the um, the earlier example of um, Jack Rosenberg, Werner Earhart, who yep. graduated from selling secondhand cars to um, running a large group awareness training, which, which was devastating for for many of the people who became involved. Um, I mean and develop psychiatric conditions as a consequence of the extreme techniques that were being used. They modified their techniques gradually and um, became the forum or landmark trust and Earhart was, was bought out of it. But again, we see somebody who is fundamentally a, a salesperson. They're, they're, they're people who sell things and it doesn't matter what they're selling. So that when we look at what we call cult groups and that, that term has become so contentious. Um, yeah. I tend to put the word authoritarian or dangerous in front of it uh, to show that we mean those groups which are destructive. Sociologists, of course, have, have come up with this new religious movements. I was talking with um, Professor Emerita um, Eileen Barker, who wrote a book called New Religious Movements, 
uh, more than 30 years ago now. And she was saying she just doesn't use the expression anymore because I, I was sort of, well, what do we mean by new? Some people say it's after 1830 with Joseph Smith. Some people, and Eileen was among them, said it's after the Second World War. Religious? Well, so many groups, the Sullivanians who are a therapy group, uh, a heart seminar training, they'd be lumped in and they, they have no religious pretensions. And then as to whether any of them were movements, you know, so we get to this dangerous place where we don't anymore have a word. The word cult originally meant any group that is um, devoted to a leader or a teaching. That's what the Oxford Dictionary gives. And it's now this pejorative meaning has crept in so that it's hard to use the word. But I would very definitely, you know, I wrote a book called Opening Our Minds a few years ago. And what I saw was that if you looked at gangs, if you looked at terrorist groups, if you looked at pedophile grooming, human trafficking, you'll find the same mechanics at work, the same approaches are being used throughout these groups, because these are the things that work on us. And so, you know, again, the recruitment will be similar from one group to another. You'll, make, you'll be made to feel wanted. You'll be made to feel comfortable that you'll be, you know, buttered up and the honeymoon period begins. And this, this notion of the arbitration clauses, this has really come up in the Scientology world because Scientology learned to have everybody sign these clause, these contracts that say, you know, I have no expectation of anything and you can have all of my money and do what you want to me. And various courts have accepted these contracts and said, well, you know, if you have a problem with Scientology, you'll have to negotiate with Scientology. And that, you know, in 1984, I, the the first court case I worked on um, is called Ray Ward's B&G. It's a very exciting title. And it became famous as the Leighty case because Mr. Justice Leighty sat. And this was a family issue. And yet he went into open court with his ruling. He was so alarmed by what he found out. And what had happened was very simple, that a couple had separated and the, the wife had been told that because the husband was a better Scientologist, he should keep the children. And she was so, still so much involved in the, you know, the thought reform process that she agreed to this. And a couple of years later, she's like, where are my, my kids? What, what's happened? And goes into court. And of course, this is a situation where Scientology had arbitrated. They'd had one of their so-called chaplains who persuaded her to give up her children with a significant amount of pressure. So this, this brings us into the area of undue influence that, which is still, you know, we have here a coercive control act, which recognizes that in an intimate relationship, one person may be exploiting another. I would say that there's a misuse there of the word coercion because coercion means threat, intimidation, or force. And the exploitation that happens in these relationships doesn't need to be threatening, intimidating, or forceful in any way. And so we look to when somebody signed an elaborate contract, which strips them of all of their rights, and then you've got to go back to the people that conned you into writing this thing to for any kind of justice, we, we really are stuck. So um, it, it, it's an, you know, the ability to sign away your rights, and that takes us into, you know, a contract with no consideration, a contract where, where you are giving 
much more than you're getting back and that allowing the person who got you to sign the contract to determine that just seems crazy to me there needs to be something. i um yeah i i recently i uh submitted a uh a paper to the federal trade commission in connection with um the, one of these uh, regulatory um movements that they're they are uh, proceedings that they are are pushing forward that that may result in in regulating mlm and what i what i did is i analyzed uh, three representative uh, mlm contracts um and i i it, it was actually stunning the, the the degree of control that the companies um reserve to themselves over these uh supposed distributors i mean supposedly these contracts are distribution agreements there mm. the company is distributing products and the the people who sign up are the distributors and uh, they may have different names for it they they all have different terminology but essentially it's a, it's a distribution ar arrangement and these are supposedly business agreements and they do look very much like franchise agreements which i'm very familiar with because i i did a lot of franchising earlier in my career um but th there are um they're so one-sided it's it's sort of incredible and, and they they not only have clauses that um uh, uh reserve all sorts of powers to the company the company retains the right the mlm company retains the right to modify the contract on notice you know they, they they you know there's no negotiating they just they can just say okay we're going to change this clause and here it is and you you know you 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 know you you, you signed a, an agreement that said you're you're agreeing to this so essentially your only option at that point is to leave mm -hmm. and if you leave you're going to forfeit uh whatever benefits that you have you have uh, uh built up mm -hmm. uh but it, 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 that type of clause, I mean, there, there have been some decisions, which uh, court decisions, which have said, hey, if you have a clause like that, you really don't have a, a contract at all. Um, there's, it, it, it's illusory because uh, all of the power is in, in one side. There is no consideration. But those cases, those decisions are fairly rare. A lot of judges uh, will uh, enforce these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, so people, you know, we were just talking earlier about the, the sort of the recruitment process and how it's designed to sort of get you to lower your guard and, and, and think that you are uh, getting involved with a wonderful group of people. So then you, you, you sign the agreement in, in that sort of reduced uh, uh, critical thinking uh, state. Um, and uh, then you find out later that um and some of these agreements are, are you know over 100 pages long i mean you what you sign is maybe a page and a half uh but there's a clause in there that says you know we incorporate by reference our rules and regulations well those goes on those go on for 100 pages so you don't realize when you sign it that you're signing something that's very very a sophisticated commercial uh agreement that has all sorts of clauses that most people would not understand unless they had a lawyer uh, explain it to them. Mm. Um, 
So it, it's it, there is this this total imbalance in in uh, in in the uh, uh, you know, recruitment process and in the the knowledge that that the, the parties have. And you said I want to pick up on one thing you said earlier about the the the, the going to the, the the relationship here, and that is uh, one of the things that the MLM uh, folks do is they they tell you. Uh, you know, your friends and your family are going to tell you that you're involved in a pyramid scheme or that you're, in, that, that, you know, you're, you're going to lose money. Um, and, and you should avoid those people. Don't, yeah. get, don't let them steal your dreams. And, and the line is avoid the dream stealers. The dream you know, avoid stealers. those people who are going to, uh, uh, you know, tell you that uh, you know that, that the, the naysayers uh you know you you've got to be relentlessly positive about everything having to do with this business you don't ask questions you don't um you don't criticize um you just you always have to put on your 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 happy face mm -hmm. and and um and be positive about about everything and even if you haven't made it yet you're gonna make it and and you've got to uh, you've got to carry that attitude with you, uh, both internally. Uh, this is how you should feel yourself, and it's the the way you present yourself to to other people. Mm. Uh, uh, so I, again, I think what what uh, little I know about cults, I, I think there you know, definitely would have, we'll see some parallels there in in, in how uh, cults, especially this 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 theme of isolation of, of, of just staying away from people who are questioning uh, the validity of what you're you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Alienate any any critics and and, you know, seal the person off, isolate them from the possibility of change. Um, you make me think of Tom White, you know, talking about contracts, Tom White's great line, the large print giveth and the small print taketh away. Yes. But, <laughs> And we are now, you know, whenever we accept some app on on the World Wide Web, there's this huge, great contract. I mean, how how, how many people actually read them? And yeah. you know, finding out that um, Cambridge Analytica were able to to build up five thousand pieces of information on every adult in the United States by having bought the database of Facebook, and um, when Brittany Kaiser, who actually sold Cambridge Analytica to Donald Trump, defected and wrote her book about it, uh, Targeted. Um, she said, I think it is 40,000 corporations had bought that database. So, and people really weren't realizing that when they went on Facebook, they were giving copyright in their, the photographs they posted. Um, they, they, were, they were just being raided completely with this very deliberate, you know, we know now from people who are around Zuckerberg that 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 this was designed, that that you were meant to be taken in by this thing, and so here we come to people who are designing contracts, which are supposed to be um, to, you know, protective of their rights and take away all of our rights, and this this bizarre thing where, as you say, 
if you you know it's, it's like the marx brothers you know the, the party in the first part will here and have to be named known as the party in the first part i don't like it that and off we come <laughs> and we get down to the sanity clause and the, as chico says there is no such thing as a sanity clause and and we lose that but contracts it it's been there for a long time shakespeare had things to say about lawyers he wasn't very keen about them nothing personal about you doug obviously he didn't know you um but there there do seem to be you know, there seems to be this other way of looking at the world where the normal person the lay person is excluded by this elaborate language that is used i mean pretty much a load of language from the point of view you know, I, I'd never heard the word contumelious or the word timus before I, I met lawyers, you know, and, and I hope I never hear them again. Um, and, and so it becomes um, as if one is acknowledging a kind of priesthood of knowledge, you know, that, that here we are, we're being given this thing by these wise people who've determined this thing. And in fact, um, signing any contract that you have not read and understood is a dreadful mistake and something that's been foisted on us on you know on a daily basis also any contract that runs to more pages than you can read in your lunch hour is definitely not a good idea and certainly one that says and we include our entire rule book you know uh, yeah. which you can you know have you read our terms yeah. and conditions you know it, it's um, you know those some of those agreements are that you, you describe the internet agreements they're called click through agreements where you just sort of check a box and and I I'll confess I, I I check the box and I haven't read the whole the whole thing it's it's a it's sort of a question of what's at stake it's one thing if it's you know giving you access to a a website it's another thing if it represents a financial commitment that uh, may, uh, you know, expand over time. Mm. And I mean, the, the, problem on the, web is, the problem on the web is, is that, that it's been the harvesting of data and it, it's been the understanding yeah. that, you know, I, and I still, you know, every now and then I, I'll go onto a website and something will suddenly be recommended to me that I was looking at on another website a few minutes before now i know that amazon looked to the website you've come from and the website you go to and that's logged they know that then about you we we have come to a brave new world um where our relationship is to some extent contractual now that, that i don't think most people realize that that they've contracted themselves into these things and we become more used to this idea, as you say, of click-through contracts. It's like, I'll just turn the pages quickly and sign it at the end without understanding, you know, at, at all, you know, what, what's happened and where I've been taken. And who wants to, you know, go and spend $500 having a lawyer check the, all of the clauses of the click-through contract? I, I, you know, when I find myself involved with matters that require contracts and I, I'm not very keen on such things, I must say. Um, it takes me days and weeks to, to get through and come and go with the wording. And what's usually said to me, if I'm, say if I'm in a documentary, um, in fact, the um, Seduce, the documentary about Keith Ranieri, I was in the room 
when uh, a woman called Naomi Gibbons gave her first public talk in, in Manchester. And I was furious when I came out of the room that, that this woman who really needed help and counselling had been put on a stage to perform so that she could be filmed for a documentary. And then I was handed a release form and it gave universal rights to my image because I'd been in the audience. So I didn't sign the release form, but if you watch Seduced, you will see my face in the room. They, they didn't really care. But it just the nature of these contracts and what he said to me most frequently is, everyone else has signed it. Yeah. I'm finding myself at a cult conference, you know, where counter-cult conference, where people are really meant to know about this kind of thing. And people are just signing it. Um, we, we've become used to it, you know, the, um, and it would be good to have some legal provision that says that that if you could not understand the contract i mean it, it is meant to be that if you're drunk when you sign a contract or if you're under pressure then then it's an unfair contract but i i think with these groups that there needs to be some scrutiny to say the the general public need to understand um what is being said we we had a thing in the law here in the 1980s about the clarity of contracts and uh, government material improved tremendously during that period and then it was suggested that lawyers should not be using latin as their basic latin you know mutatis mutandi and all of that which i think was a really good move um yeah. to you know let let's have everyday language and let's have our contracts in everyday language but given that you know, we have a proportion of our society that's illiterate, but I think we now have quite a large proportion of people who are functionally illiterate. They can read what it says on the page out loud, but they don't understand what it means. And so contracts of, you know, we, we come into a dangerous area there of, of, of comprehension, I think. I, yeah, I, 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 I completely agree with you. And I, I, I as, and, Although I am a lawyer, uh, I, I it 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 is it, it's a source of, of never-ending amazement that that these contracts uh, uh, have evolved to the point where where uh, not only can not only are they totally one-sided, but they're they're totally uh, uh, opaque to, mm -hmm. to anyone who doesn't have. Uh, a legal background, and even if you even if you're a lawyer, a lot of these contracts are so highly specialized, you you may not even understand the implications of certain clauses unless you actually practice in in, in this field. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I mentioned uh, uh, franchising. Franchising is a fairly, fairly highly specialized uh, area, and there are uh, certain norms in 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 the contracts that get uh, assigned. Uh, the difference between with franchising and MLM is that typically a franchisee is making an investment of, you know, could be 50,000 or 100,000, making a substantial investment. And they they often will hire a lawyer to to uh, uh, evaluate the opportunity and to read the contract and explain it. Uh, no one involved in, in, you know, gets involved in MLM uh, does that. It's, it's presented as... Uh, well, you know, you're only, you know, this is just a, a $50 uh, uh, starter kit and sign here and, and you're off to the races and you can't really lose anything because all you've, 
you know, you, you bought the starter kit. The, 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 the key thing, and I think you mentioned this when you, you, you had your brief experience with MLM, that you didn't have to buy anything. Mm. That's true at, at the initial stage at that, at that, when you, when you first sign up, it's a fairly cheap uh, investment. What happens with, with, with most MLMs, certainly every MLM that I've looked at is that as you get further into it, and as you start recruiting people um, in order to get a benefit from uh, from those recruits. In other words, the idea is with MLM is you recruit people and then you will make commissions when they buy mm-hmm. stuff from the company and then their recruits and their recruits. And, and so if, 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 that, if, if that continues long enough, you will have this whole army of recruits underneath you and you will be making lots of commissions. Mm-hmm. But you only qualify to earn those commissions if you yourself buy X amount of stuff per month or your group accounts for x amount of of stuff so in in effect you do have these uh, uh purchase requirements and it may it may be that you got into the business for 50 or 100 bucks but after you've been in it for six months you may find yourself spending thousands of dollars a month just to meet those qualifications uh, and and you're and you're willing to spend it because you're being told, you know, just stay with it another few months, and you will start making commission checks that will, you know, you know, boggle your mind that 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 will far exceed uh, the the investment that you that uh, that you're making. It's it's a demonstration of the sunk cost fallacy where you know you keep on spending good money. Uh, to chase bad uh, investments uh, mm. uh, because you just can't you can't uh, uh, stomach the idea that that you've made a bad choice a mm. bad decision and and you should just cut your losses yeah uh, it's it I, I call it inertia that, that um, Robert Cialdini calls it consistency or commitment mm. and um, it was uh, yeah Anthony Bracanis wrote a, a book called weapons of fraud where he talks, in fact, about telephone selling. Remember telephone selling? Um, and he talks that there's a particular case that he's talking about of, of a woman, an elderly woman, who, you know, yes, sent off the $10 to get something. And then, you know, the I don't know whether it was a Nigerian prince who was, or the, or the Dutch lottery or, or whatever it was. But this idea that, that you'll make a small investment in something and then it'll come back and say oh we've we've run into a little bit of a problem and we need another hundred dollars i think if i remember rightly this woman in the end spent three hundred thousand dollars she lost her her home her own kids stopped talking with her because they grew tired of trying to dissuade her from fueling this confidence trickster and that consistency that as i say I, i tend to think of it as inertia that we tend to keep moving in the direction we're going and so once we have committed to something and, and said, well, you know, yeah, there's going to be money in them, thar hills, we, we keep on, we keep on going. And, um, you know, the psychology of this, it becomes so fascinating that, that, uh, as you say, there is reduced critical thinking and, uh, I get into conversations with people about critical thinking. I think critical thinking is a great idea. However, 
my experience is that it's quite easy to subvert. It's quite easy to get somebody to use their reasoning abilities to support the idea, you know, that that something is going to work for them. People, um, again, Chaldinian influence talks about going to a, a transcendental meditation recruitment meeting and two people are at the microphone back and forth and he's gone with a logic professor and at the end of their presentation he stands up and he ticks off one question after another and they can't answer these questions in fact one of them i think says i think you have a pretty good point there then people in the audience sign up for the course and chardini and the professor are saying well why did you sign up and the the answer boils down to if I think about what you said, I won't take the course. And this course is my last hope to, to get over this condition. People, you know, their desperation is bought, their hope is bought. And of course, the dream stealers yeah. um, are there to prevent you from, you know, success beyond your wildest dreams, which, which doesn't tend to happen all that much. Um, I mean, another area where this has recently emerged for me is, is that the, the people who are behind the secret, the law of attraction, which I think is the most dreadful scam, that about a year or so back, they released a new video with the new secret. And it was funny because I was watching it and watched it through and sort of went, well, I haven't actually found anything out that I didn't know already. Um, basically, I've got to think happy thoughts and good things will happen to me. Doesn't seem to work very well. But they were telling me we are the first people ever to say this. And the peculiar thing was that the platform I was on had just produced, just put up Napoleon Hill's um, 1950s talks, which were yeah. really amusing to look at because he's reading off screen and it's all very clumsy. But he was telling us exactly the things that they were telling us, you yeah. know, 60, 70 years later. Um, th th there isn't really that much to sell other than confidence yeah. other than belief other than hope um and and we see people ruined by it i have a friend who bought into a timeshare in a holiday place and then found of course it was completely useless uh, i have another friend who was bankrupted in a, a scheme to sell perfume uh so we see these devastating effects and Every now and then somebody does make a lot of money, cryptocurrency. Um, my oldest boy actually made a lot of money in, in cryptocurrency because he saw what was happening. He knew how to mine it. He knew what to do. He's a computer expert and he got out before things started to collapse. So, and the same was true for the South Sea bubble or the, um, famous French Mississippi yeah. purchase where some people made money at it, but at the uh, beginning, you to, your timing had to be perfect. Yeah. And the problem is that, as you say, 99% of people won't make money, they'll, they'll simply be providing, you know, caviar and, and champagne for, for the 1% who'll be having these meetings saying about how incredibly successful it is and how wonderful they feel and how you should follow in their footsteps. And whenever somebody publishes a book saying, you know, how to get rich quick, it's like, it reminds me that there was a scheme where somebody put an advertisement in the newspaper and, and said, um, want to know how to make money? Send me five pounds. And you sent them five pounds and you got a note back saying, put an ad in the newspaper saying, want to know how to make money? Send me five pounds.
Well, at least he was honest. Yeah, ish. <laughs> mm. So, um, the, I, I managed to have a look at the website. It looks very well laid out. Um, what is your hope from the website? What, what, where do you want this to go? I, I, I would certainly, I'd, I'd like people to see it. Um, uh, and I'd like people to, I'd like to hear back from people as to, you know, is this useful? Uh, is there something else that, uh, I should be uh, putting on there? I have a blog. Uh, I have a, 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 a I've, I've, Build a page of a, a legal, uh, uh, you know, paper with upcoming topics for the blog. But I, I'm certainly open to to suggestions there. Um, but uh, so my my hope is to pull together in one place um, as much information I, as I can, uh, uh, certainly about the, the from the the legal side of of uh, that affects. Uh, MLM and uh, and pyramid schemes. I do have a, a section on there about you know con artists and literature, a uh, little bit little bit off uh, uh, topic there. But uh, uh, I, and I'd love to hear um, uh, you and I. I think I've read some of the same books. David Marr's book on on, on uh, con artists is a wonderful book. Um, yeah, uh, an absolute classic and and what written in the 50s or, or even before that i think it was before i think it was, might have been before world war ii um, yeah in the 30s and, yeah. and, and just um uh and, and, and as i mean he describes and the people the people that he describes running con games back then they are the people who are today uh running multi-level marketing uh, mm -hmm. uh schemes it's it's uh that you're using the same techniques, uh, the same human weaknesses, uh, you know, the same uh, uh, you know, uh, psychology and emotion uh, that um, you know, con, art con artists have have, uh, have always uh, uh, been able to uh, take advantage of. Yeah. Uh, they've had they've had uh, many years to sort of hone uh, their uh, you know their pitch uh, mm -hmm. to. to to uh, uh, to uh, take advantage of us, um, so that that's certainly uh, my hope to be uh, to be at least a voice out there uh, that uh, will provide people accurate information about uh, uh, you know what this opportunity really is, uh, as opposed to what the uh, the uh, MLM companies are are saying that it is. There's a tremendous amount of misinformation spread by MLM companies and the MLM industry, the, the, the Direct Selling Association, which is the lobbying organization for uh, uh, the industry, it just puts out um, uh, statistics and numbers that, that uh, simply cannot be uh, uh, true. I mean, they're, mm. they're demonstrably false, but uh, uh, they are the voice of, of of the industry, and they get quoted and and uh, uh, put out there as uh, as facts. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, and we live in a. I mean, I think we've always lived in a propaganda world. I, I mean, I traced it back to Sumeria, where um, companies that were making beer first designed little logos to put on on the caps of the beer before the crown cap was invented, of course. Um, 
but there, there's always been this thing about selling. I found that um, looking at you know at English history in, in under Henry VIII, we we find that he decides he's because he's his father is not really the heir to the throne, Henry the Seventh. You know, he's the battle between York and Lancaster has happened, and so to legitimise the succession to the throne, Henry VIII starts this propaganda about um, King Alfred and his, you know, the relationship back to there. But he also then goes off to King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, which which is a fascinating set of stories. Um, yeah. But it's used to say, well, we're here legitimately. His daughter, Elizabeth, who's generally in the history books called Good Queen Bess, which I kind of doubt as she spent more time with her chief torturer than any other court official during her reign, because she was quite interested in that kind of thing. But there was actually an edict put out that if you showed any portrait of her other than the official portrait, then you would be imprisoned. You know, and you might well be executed for treason for having the wrong picture of the queen. So there have been tight boundaries and very important to, to show the right image. In the late 19th century, particularly after the Civil War in the US, modern advertising began. And it began with companies that are now established pharmaceutical companies like Eli Lilly, for example, who were selling concoctions of cannabis, opium and alcohol. For the many people traumatized by that most horrific of wars. And out of that, we then get, I think, Quaker Oats are the first people start packaging things. Things were just pushed on and pushed on until now we're bombarded every day with tens of thousands of words selling us some sort of product. Now, what I think is incredibly important about what you've done is I, I have talked with various people who are seeking to expose MLMs and who have terrible stories to tell and and it's really good that they're out there doing it but the idea that there is a website you can go to before signing up to one of these things and have a look at what the reality is and that that website is being put forward by somebody with tremendous expertise you really know what you're talking about you know this isn't just you know you've read the reader's digest and have an opinion you've spent decades understanding the legal situation and seeking to and managing to do something about it so i would definitely advocate that that people make your site known so that anybody who's being you know approached by one of these companies that's going to try and stop them from talking to dream stealers like you and me that anybody who's being approached by this can can go and find out the basics and understand what they might be letting themselves into but by looking at your website and we will put uh, links in the description below well thank you so much for that that uh, voice of confidence i i, hmm. I really appreciate it uh, but, uh, uh and i uh, enjoyed uh, talking with you hmm. I, I, uh, I i if you have any questions i'm happy to 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 field them or if the if uh, and I'm happy to talk later if, uh, uh, you know, if this, if, if there's interest in, in, mm. uh, in, in among your subscribers, uh, but, well, uh, but by all means, take a, when we put the video up, take a look at the comments and, and, and see what we have there. Um, I'd be very happy, you know, to circle back in two or three months time and, and see where you've got to, um, and, um, 
introduce you to other podcasters who have significantly more subscribers than I do, which is a tragedy, by the way, you know, that, that um, people aren't flocking in their millions to shower me with money. I don't know what's wrong with them. You know, I'm evidently not selling the right things here, you know, but um, I'm afraid that's the way it's going to be. Um, so, yep, Doug, a great pleasure to spend a little time with you and um, we'll maybe get back together in a few months' time and, and see where we've got to. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Hi, John here. Thanks for watching. We'd appreciate it very much if you would click like as well as subscribe and click the bell for notifications. Every dollar helps and we welcome new patrons on Patreon. We can make a one-off payment with any currency through PayPal. Thanks so much.